we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18. In case you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, you probably already are aware of this, but this is Valentine's week. And uh, I can see you're all really excited about that. <laughs> But, uh, and, and Valentine's Day has come to represent or, or be associated with romantic love. And, you know, my wife and I uh, couldn't get into our favorite restaurant on Valentine's Day, so we're going to do it later. But we are going out to dinner to celebrate Valentine's. I'm not sure what you guys are doing. I hope you're doing something. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it also, Valentine's Day has also come to be about um, love in general and, and friendship. I remember when my kids were growing up and, Around this time, we'd have to go every year to the grocery store, the drugstore, and buy boxes of these little, you know, Valentine's cards that they would give out to their friends at school. Uh, or the little, the little uh, heart-shaped candies, I forget what they're called, that say, be mine on them, and, you know, you're a loser, and those kinds of things, you know. <coughs> no, just kidding. Um, and moms and dads, do they still do that? All right, so uh, this is a time of year when we talk a lot about, about love and not only romantic love, but friendships. And I want to talk to you about friendships today because we are living in a time when we need friendships, true, deep, and lasting uh, friendships, substantive friendships more than ever. And we find probably um, that it's happening less and less, that we have fewer of those kinds of friends in our lives. We have a lot of acquaintances. I have friends I've never heard their voice because they're, we're friends on Facebook, you know. I've never seen them in the flesh. And more and more, we're having friendships that are defined in weird ways. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying we need more than that. But our technology and our culture has allowed us uh, opportunities to be isolated in pretty serious ways. I can get up in the morning, grab my phone, I can order my Starbucks online so I don't have to talk to any barista or anything. I can go out to my car and never have to say, see my neighbor because it's in a nice garage, roll up the door back. I don't even have to go out and open the garage door anymore so there's no chance I'll have to interact with any of my neighbors. And I can drive off. I can have Amazon uh, bring to my doorstep anything I want, including my groceries. So it's really, really easy when you're especially inclined to be a hermit like I am to really just, you know, bury yourself in your man cave and, and <laughs> have at it. It's not healthy and it's not helpful and it's not God's plan. I want to ask you to join with me in a little Bible study this morning that will look at one of the great friendships of all time. Jonathan and David. And my goal is for us to glean from their experience some things that might help us to have more, better, deeper uh, friendships. Let me go uh, ask you something before I go any further. How many of you uh, would raise your hand to admit, I need more friends in my life? Yeah, a bunch of us. A bunch of us. So why don't you that, you know, had your hands up over here, why don't you connect <laughs> with these kind of just Doesn't work that way, does it? Um, but you're acknowledging something that's true. We do need more friends in our lives. And uh, let's learn from this one. So 
In First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Let me give you the backstory. This happens right after uh, David uh, triumphs over Goliath. How many of you heard the story of David and Goliath? Okay, m most of you, all right. But just in case you haven't, there was this really big guy who was threatening the armies of Israel and they were scared of him so much so that the armies of Israel couldn't advance against their enemies until this little shepherd boy shows up and says, what the heck? I'll take him on in the name of Jesus. This, this foul Philistine is not going to prevent us from doing what the Lord's called us to do. And he takes a rock and hurls it at him, knocks him out, and then off his, I'm sorry to be so graphic, takes his head off and things go forward. Now Saul, the king, is, is uh, uh, so excited about the fact that he's got somebody who's willing to be courageous and bold that he debriefs this young kid and decides, I'm not letting you go. You're going <laughs> to you have to move into my house and you're gonna, I'm going to make sure that you have the opportunity to uh, be as visible as possible in terms of leading uh, my people in battle. And so that's what the conversation that's going on between uh, Saul the king and David and that finishes up and that's why it says now when he had finished speaking to Saul. When David had finished speaking to Saul then this thing happens. The soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, the heir to the throne, prince of Israel. Jonathan. Jonathan's soul was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him, David, as his own soul. Notice right off the bat that this friendship begins with Jonathan. The son of the king who really has no reason to strike up a friendship with what amounts to a peasant boy. Their socioeconomic worlds are worlds apart. But Jonathan sets forth to establish a friendship with David. This is told, the story of their friendship is told in the beginning from Jonathan's perspective. Why? Because he's the one who initiated it. And every friendship requires initiating. Every friendship requires somebody starting it. They don't just happen. That'd be nice. They just erupt, you know, all of a sudden you have this great friendship because it, it, that doesn't happen that way. Someone pursues someone else in making a friendship. And it's awkward. It can be pretty scary. I remember the Lord speaking to me one time, and when I say that, don't panic. I, I just mean that, you know, I felt impressed by the Lord to do something. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt like the Lord was telling me that I should start a friendship with a guy, a purposeful friendship. I know the Lord was asking me to kind of uh, uh, disciple him or lead him along in his faith journey, but I knew that the Lord intended for me to get something out of that relationship too. Anyway, I sat across the table from this guy and I said to him, I said, I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> now when you do that, it's scary and you're naked and you're vulnerable in a way that's pretty profound because the next words can be, my friendship quota is pretty full right now already. Or, 
I don't really like you. You know, any number of things that are going to be devastating to my heart and soul, right? I've laid it out there and this guy can crush it. But unless we are willing to initiate friendships, good luck. A lot of you raised your hands a minute ago to say, I could use more friends in my life. I bet if I asked you now, fewer hands would go up. Because <laughs> you know what you got to do. But friendships require initiating, and Jonathan does. Verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he, Jonathan, loved him, David, as his own soul. Jonathan introduced a covenant commitment into this relationship. Wow. But friendships remain very shallow, very surfacy. You know, the kind of thing where you might be able to talk baseball with somebody or football or you might be able to uh, attend an event with them. But, you know, it's not very deep. It's just, you know, if you want relationships, friendships to go deeper, somebody's got to make a commitment. Someone has to go on record as being committed to the other. And Jonathan steps up and makes that covenant. I am your friend. I like you. I love you. I'm standing with you. Those kinds of things that are hard to say but need to be said and are so uh, important, aren't they? Verse 4. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, we read this and we don't have the cultural uh, context to really understand it very well, but what Jonathan is doing is uh, deeply symbolic. These things that are referenced here, his, his robe, his belt, his sword, his, his armor, these are things that are his, the emblems of his place in the world. He is the son of the king. He is the prince of Israel. And these things, uh, everywhere he goes, when he wears these things, everybody knows that. They represent who he is in this world, his accomplishments, his pedigree, all of it. And he is offering these things to David. If friendships are going to be what we long for them and need for them to be, there's going to be giving that takes place. And I don't mean uh, necessarily material or financial things. That can be. But I... I think more importantly, the giving or the offering of who we are to each other. It's easy, you know, in relationships to kind of hide who you really are because you're not so sure that the person wants to know the real you. And so a lot of effort goes on in our lives to try to kind of hide who we really are. And boy, it's really exhausting and isn't very helpful. 
In the long run, we must have people in our lives to whom we can give who we are to and know that it's safely trusted there and, and reciprocated as well. And that's what's going on here, a giving of who he was to a trusting of who he, his identity, true identity, to David. Chapter 19. Verse 4. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. Now, what's going on here is that Saul has become so threatened now by David's popularity, and he's become aware that God's hand is on David, and and uh, within some short period of time, relatively short period of time, if he doesn't do something about it, David is going to become king. And so he make, makes it his job to do away with David. He's so uh, jealous and so angry that he's begun a process of trying to snuff David out. And Jonathan goes to his father and says, what are you doing? David has done nothing but honor you and bring blessing to you. And why would you do this? And trying to reason with his father, Saul, defending David. Friendships of worth and of depth must be defended. There's all kinds of reasons why they will be at assaulted, attacked. You know this if you have a friend, that person who's calling you right now. Um, <coughs> you know that friendships come under attack. I had a friend that I, I mean I still have a friend who I've known um, since I was probably in the seventh grade. We grew up together. Um, we entered ministry together. He uh, took a church in the northwest part of our country. I've uh, pastored most of my uh, life here in the, in the Bay Area. Our families uh, were close. We did a lot of vacationing together. The kind of rich kind of friendships that you love and, and are so satisfying and deeply rewarding. And then he did something really stupid. And he got involved with a woman in his church that wasn't his wife. He lost his family, lost his ministry. And our relationship was in serious jeopardy. I didn't know what to do. I was mad at him. Look, I love the church. I hate what that does to the church when somebody screws up like that. The wreckage that comes to the hearts and lives of the family members that are now broken by this. And, and so I was mad at him. And, uh, but I, I couldn't get past, the Lord wouldn't let me get past the fact that there was so much invested in this relationship, I could not let it go. It, and we are, aren't we? We're so quick to write off relationships when they go bad, when something happens, when we feel offended by a person. It's like, okay, enough with you. Or we become uh, unforgiving or embittered towards that person, or we just stop calling them. Or, you know, we, we, 
I'm as guilty of that as anybody. But then the investment of so much of our heart and life is lost. And I believe that if we're going to be people who experience the kind of friendships that God wants us to have, the kind of relationships, period, that God wants us to have, we need to be willing to defend them. Now what he did was indefensible. I couldn't defend what he had done. But I knew the Lord was asking me to do something to defend our friendship. So after some months passed, because I, re- I, you know, I struggled with this for quite a while. I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do. I picked up the phone and dialed this number. And after he said hello and I said hi and I said his name, this is Randy. I didn't know what else to say. But that was something. It was a step to say what we have together is not worth losing even in this thing, even in this crisis. We need to find a way to defend it. What ended up happening is that uh, I began to call him. He would call me and we would talk about music because that's something we've always had in common. We couldn't get around to deeper subjects, but we could talk about that until we could start to drill down to the deeper issues. And we, stang- we hung in there until we could get to that. Now, my part in this was very minor. This is all God's doing, but I will tell you that I know I had a role to play in the recovery and restoration of that man's life. And... and our friendship because I didn't let it go but I'm sad to say there's been plenty of other relationships I've had that I've just written them off you might have somebody right now you're thinking of a relationship that you have had that needs defending step up it's hard but worth it Chapter 20, verse 41. As soon as the lad had gone, David rose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Now here's what happened uh, in this situation. The conflict between Saul, Jonathan's father, and David has continued to escalate. In fact, uh, Saul has tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. (laughs) Kind of making a statement there, you know. And uh, so David um, has a clandestine meeting with Jonathan, and he says, what's up with your dad? I I can't do anything to to please him. He, He wants to kill me. And um, Jonathan says, I know this looks bad, but we need, to, we need to try to get to the bottom of this. I need to talk with him one more time. I need to see if I can rationalize with him. And David says, okay, but how, how I can't hang around here. My life's in danger. How can, we, uh, how can I find out what the bottom line of this whole thing's going to be? And so they work out this scenario where... Um, David will wait in his field. Jonathan will go confront his father. And, and um, uh, the results of that confrontation, Jonathan will try to communicate to David in this way. He will come out and fire, shoot some arrows 
and then send his servant to go collect the arrows. And he told David, you wait out in the field, and if you hear me say to my servant who goes to collect the, the arrows, they're beyond you, then you know you better run for your life. If I say, come back, they're this way, then you know that, that we've resolved things. You know, the story uh, it doesn't end happily. Uh, Jonathan shoots the arrow, sends his servant out for them and says, they're beyond you. And now David knows, and Jonathan knows, this is, they're probably not going to ever see each other again. After Saul's uh, servant gathers the arrows and goes back to wherever he needs to go to, the two of them, even though they shouldn't and even though they have agreed not to, they meet in that field because they just couldn't let the friendship go. And David says, bows down three times before Jonathan. They kiss one another and they wept. And um, it says here, notice David more so. Remember the relationship began with Jonathan, but now it has become at least as important to David as it was to Jonathan. The point here is that Relationships must involve expression. They must. Now, my wife is, uh, uh, well, she's my bride. She's my wife, and I love her for you know, so many reasons, more than I can say, and, and uh, I tell her that. I tell her I love you. In fact, we start every day uh, saying that to one another. The alarm goes <laughs> off, and we have this heart attack, you know. And then we reach across the, uh, under the sheets to each other and join hands and say, I love you, you know. <laughs> and uh, I try to, you know, we, uh, to, to say, speak that over her and she to me, you know, as often as we can. We need to have that uh, love expressed. But she's also my best friend in this world. And if I never tell her that, if I never say to her, you're my best friend, I I love you as my friend, then there's something about our friendship that is diminished. The same is true in every other friendship you have. If you don't speak it, if you don't express it, if you don't communicate it, that relationship is diminished in ways that you don't want. Now, I'm not much of a you know, touchy-feely kind of guy. Um, but there is a person in this, a, a man in this church that often when he sees me, he'll give me a hug and a kiss on the cheek and tell me he loves me. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> but, but I am so thankful. Honestly, so thankful. I know that's not easy for him. <laughs> but knowing that's, that that relationship means that much to him, I try in my own way to express back that that, that means, some, means impor it's important to me too. Here's a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. But if, but if those expressions aren't made, our friendships are diminished, aren't they? 
One more thing before I let you go this morning. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament. You'll get and chapter 15, John chapter 15. Remember this amazing friendship between Jonathan and David began with the son of the king initiating something with someone way beneath him that became so precious to them both. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus is speaking, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. <clears throat> no longer, verse 15 says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus, the son of our king, has initiated so much more than this, but don't, don't forget, he has initiated a friendship with each of us. He's committed to us. He has given to us. He is def always defending that relationship and continually expressing how much he loves and cares for us. Jesus is the truest friend you'll ever have. He's your savior. If you come to faith in him for sure and that trumps everything else, but he is your friend too. This is recording number 11246 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 12, 2017. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Friendship. The Lost Heart.